Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Hello and welcome wherever you are in our great country or actually around the world. Uh, Except no imposters, except no substitutes. This is Judge Jim Gray on the Voice America Variety Channel. And I'm just always excited to be with you. And we have a truly special guest uh, for this one. Probably one of the youngest mayors that our country has ever seen on this libertarian way with Judge Jim Gray. And his name is Mayor Ethan Reynolds. He is from... Uh, Carlisle City in Ohio, and has been a mayor for quite a while, and been on the city council since he was uh, something on the order of 19 years old. So that's that's kind of an astounding thing. But this fellow was born in Dayton, Ohio, and he has carried out every every Eagle Scout I've ever heard of has gone on to be successful in various ventures. Uh, this Mayor Reynolds is an Eagle Scout, so he's carrying on that tradition, and then was on the student council, volunteered for George W. Bush in the presidential campaign, as I understand it, of 2004, and then uh, actually resigned as mayor from New Carlisle, Ohio, as of May 31st of this year. So we'll get into a little bit of this, but he was on the city council for about seven and a half years, and was its mayor since 2018. He said at the time that he originally ran, quote, we were borrowing money and no one was speaking for the average citizen, unquote. So uh, they were nearing financial collapse in New Carlisle, Ohio. And here comes Mayor or then Councilman Ethan Reynolds to the rescue. So Ethan, welcome. Thank you for being with us here on All Rise. And just uh, give us a little bit more, flesh out a little more of your background of Ethan Reynolds and tell us how you became to be a libertarian. Yeah, so it all started, I mean, like I said, I supported George W. Bush, you know, for, uh, I was only 13 at the time. Uh, my philosophy started changing in 2008. I was kind of a Romney guy, and then I started hearing Ron Paul speak, and then I ended up agreeing mostly with what he was saying, and I said, well, I need to figure out something new. Uh, Romney isn't my, isn't my candidate. I, I like limited government. I like uh, fiscal responsibility. I don't like intrusive foreign wars unless they're justified, and then he's obviously... Uh, declared by the U.S. Congress. So uh, I ended up grabbing a book by uh, Barry Goldwater. It was called Conscious of the Conservative. And I read it from cover to cover. And I was like, this guy is great. I love him. And then as time kind of went on, folks were like, well, he's actually more of a libertarian than uh, conservative. And I was like, well, then that's what I am. I'm a Barry Goldwater kind of guy. You know, I I don't like government and uh, big government especially. And I think that local government is actually one of the most intrusive forms of government after serving as a member of council for quite some time. I decided that it was going to be the appropriate thing to do to uh, run for office at 19 years old. Uh, I challenged uh, a couple incumbents. We were, like, I said, like I said in my quote, you know, we were borrowing. We had no, no end in sight. Our yearly budget was about $10 million and we were, we were in debt about $5.6 million. So I said, this is, uh, this is unsustainable. So I ran. Uh, on a fiscal conservative platform and got elected uh, as top vote-getter. Uh, and I beat an incumbent mayor's son uh, at the time. Uh, 
uh, and everyone thought it was a flash in the pan election. And then I ran for re-election in 15 and uh, became the top vote-getter again. And I just focused up on uh, conservative policies. And I wanted to restore people's property rights uh, by getting rid of certain fees. I thought it was ridiculous that if you wanted to build a deck at your house, Judge, uh, you'd pay a $50 fee for a property improvement. And I said, this is ridiculous. we got to get rid of this stuff. Yeah, and I have, a, that's right. I sorry, my vice mayor is actually with me right now, uh, and he just reminded me. Yeah, we had to get a waiver for out front. I mean, to do anything you wanted to do with your property in my city, you had to actually go through uh, the nanny state to get it done. So, I, yeah, it's, it's quite ridiculous. I found out, Ethan, that if you wanted to put in a new water heater, uh, you had to get in in where I live in, uh, in Orange County, you had to get and pay a fee to the, to the uh, state, or the, excuse me, the city government. And of course, somebody else would put in the water heater and they were bonded. And I thought just the same as you. I mean, that's just simply unnecessary. And of course, somebody would come out and then sometimes they wouldn't even come out. They just trust the installer. Uh, so those fees just, just yep. really get carried away. Good, good for you. I'd never really thought of local government being more intrusive than people like the IRS and the federal government, but in many ways, I think you're right. By the way, too, um, in 1984, it was Barry Goldwater that ran for president, and he came in for all kinds of, of slings and arrows at the time. And Of course, I remember it. You don't. But uh, he's since then been proven to be right, that uh, he, yeah. he, his, his policies were, were really right on the money, so to speak, and, uh, and good for you. So how did... What's the difference in your view between a libertarian approach and the approach of other political parties, Ethan? Your, your boots on the ground. Uh, what's, what's your, in, in substance, in reality, what's the difference between a libertarian approach and that of the other, say, older, stodgy, stodgier parties? So I would say the difference between the two is um, Democrats want more government, more taxes, more spending. Republicans want don't, don't want taxes, but they like they like the spending just as much, and they like government as well. Depends on when they, you know, Democrats want to get in, involved in every aspect of your life with government. Republicans want to get involved in every aspect of businesses' life with government by passing certain regulations, which, you know, don't work. Uh, so I think the difference between the two, uh, the major parties and obviously libertarians, I would have to say pretty simply is libertarians just want people to get out of the way. Uh, you know, as long as you're not infringing upon my personal liberty or someone else's personal liberty, it doesn't matter. And I think that's what makes the Libertarian Party completely different than the others, is we actually believe in what we preach. You know, Republicans say they want limited government, but I haven't seen any sort of limited government come from Republicans in forever. No, I, I agree. The way I phrase it is that uh, we want to get government out of your bedroom, out of your wallet, out of your business, and out of your way. That was actually one of my campaign uh, assistants that came up with that, but I think it just accurately talks about, about what we are. And uh, also to flesh that out a bit, uh, and I don't know if you've ever seen what I wrote is uh, One Man's Libertarian White Paper, but it's on JudgeJimGray.com, and it cites Thomas Jefferson, who was really a libertarian, who said, I don't care if you worship one god, 20 gods, or no god, it doesn't pick my pocket and it doesn't break my leg. So that isn't the financial aspect, that's just basically live and let live, but, but uh, good for you. So did, were you in school at the time that you originally ran for the uh, city council in uh, New Carlisle, or, or did you take a hiatus from school? I had just graduated high school when I ran. I was in college, and I just told my parents, I said, hey guys, I'm going to run for city council, I think it's something needs to be done, and my parents were like, you're going to lose. Uh, 
but uh, we, we, we support you. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's not, that's not going to go well for me. And I just went and raised some money, knocked on uh, every door in Newport Law four times, and I made sure to really focus on that and uh, put up a bunch of yard signs and just really did mail and talked to a bunch of voters and just told them, hey, there's a different way about doing things and electing the same old people that have done nothing for you. Uh, you know, tell everyone, give me a chance. Give me your vote one time. Let me prove to you that I'm going to be the fiscal conservative that I say I am. And I got up there, and I was the first no vote in over five years, believe it or not. My first meeting, when I got inaugurated, my first meeting was a pay increase for the city manager at the time. And, you know, we, we, we were on our way to fiscal watch, which is uh, a thing in Ohio where the government then, the state government then starts watching your finances for you, and you have very limited authority uh, because they try to get you back on firm financial footing. And I took a no vote. And I was and that night, actually, one of my members of council, uh, it was so great to get his email about two years after the Senate, literally wrote an email to the city manager of the council and said, we got to get rid of this kid. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so I, I, took, I took the hard vote at the, at the beginning. So. Well, you couldn't, you couldn't do it by yourself. There were five members of the city council, so you'd need, a, need three votes to be a majority. How long did it take before you started persuading your fellow uh, council members to also vote no or be a lot more responsible with their finances? Well, I, I never did. Uh, my first term, I always voted when, when I went, actually, it was uh, five years ago today, I announced my reelection uh, for my term. And I said, guys, I was like, it's great being, this is my quote, it's great being opposition party of one. I don't have to wait for a table, but I can't get anything done. Just send me at least a few more people to get something done. And then my vice mayor stood up there with me. And uh, in, in, in the city, there were seven members, and you had to have six votes to pass emergency legislation. And they always pass this emergency legislation to buy things and to take, take on more debt. And when my vice got elected, Bill Lindsay, we said, all right, guys, no more emergency legislation. We're going to hold your feet to the fire. And we did. And then two years after that, we ended up getting two more council members elected. Uh, and we were able to right the ship. I mean, when I got reelected, our budget surplus was, believe it or not, for a city, uh, was $198. That was it. That was all. That was our whole surplus. And when I left office, I left with a $1.8 million surplus. I never raised taxes and I cut fees. I, I cut, we cut spending like crazy, too. We have a city council member here in Santa Ana in Orange County, California, who had the audacity, Ethan, to vote against a retroactive pay increase for the police department. And there were two of them that did. It passed three to two anyway. And the police union conducted a recall election just recently, and it was successful. So Cecilia Iglesias was no longer a council member because she actually had the audacity to vote against a retroactive pay increase for the police department, paying money, of course, that the city of Santa Ana did not and does not have. So unions are pretty strong. Uh, you must have encountered some opposition from various uh, public employees unions or things of that kind in your city. Did you? Yes, I did. Uh, my, my city unions hated me. Uh, but yeah, I was always fair. And I, I never went out just to hurt them. I said, guys, I mean, a great example was we had this big pay. They wanted a 32% pay incre increase. And I was like, what? It's astronomical. I'm not giving you that. And so we negotiated it back down, I think, to like 5.8%. And then we gave them a couple of extra days off a year. And I was like, I was like, I, there is no way we can afford this. We don't know what the financial future will be. Matter of fact, we just found out today uh, with the new council that's, that has taken over over the, uh, the, the, this last couple of weeks or months, I guess, uh, 
they they came in and uh, they decided that it was time for a uh, change. And this year, our budget surplus. Remember, last year it was one point eight million, and this year it's between four hundred and fifty to six hundred thousand dollars. They have literally blown the money. They have bought buildings and they have just completely wasted all the all the surplus. Yeah, and we've increased our debt constantly since since I left. <laughs> oh, boy. It, it, it's crazy. It's crazy how it all works out, Judge. I also was on Pacific Coast Highway here in Southern California, Orange County, last week, and it seemed that a police officer had died of natural causes and that uh, he was very well regarded. So they had a a uh, parade, in effect, uh, a group leading, leading the hearse first, and then you had it going by our street. And there was something in the order of 50 police cars, including two that looked like they were riot military tanks that were going by. All of them had their lights on. There were police. Then there was something in the order of had to be another 50 motorcycle units and the rest undercover cars, squad cars, the rest of that. And I'll just and, and that's fine. But it would seem to me that if you really want to show respect for the fallen police officer, you do it on your own time. I'll bet you that they were all on company time when they were doing this uh, funeral procession and uh, maybe somewhere on overtime for all I know. Is that something that you feel cities should pay for uh, to to pay? For, who knows? what police work was not being done while you had something in the order of 200 officers being paid. Going to a, going to a funeral, I, I, I'm not at all denigrating the, the fellow, but, but maybe it should be on their own time, or, or is it? Do you know? I, I honestly don't know if it's on their own time. Most of the time it isn't. Uh, we actually had a deputy uh, who was shot and killed uh, outside of New Carlisle in 2014, and uh, or 13 maybe, actually. And... Uh, I know that most of the county deputies and regional deputies have taken their own time, so I honestly don't know. Uh, I don't like wasting taxpayer funds, but something like that, I think it's uh, very difficult uh, for individuals to say, uh, like, well, we don't need to spend the taxpayer money, but I I look at it very differently. I I would support them spending the money in that way if they actually did spend any of the money, uh, only because it's one of their fallen brothers and comrades, and I am am pro-police. But you mentioned, like, military-style vehicles for police. I'm pro-police, but I am not pro-military uh, style uh, assault vehicles or any of that. I mean, the police's job is to be local policing communities, uh, to police those local communities, not to have that military-grade technology. I just disagree with many people who think that they should have that. I think that, you know, you don't need, you know, armor personnel carriers, or multiple of them, at least. Uh, I mean, we had a, we had a uh, sheriff that bought a Humvee, a military Humvee. And we never used it. It was only brought for praise. And I was like, what a waste of money. So I think, yeah. I think that, I think that using them going and, and showing respect for their fallen comrades, I'm totally in support of that. Uh, I just think that there's other ways we could cut money that, that isn't in that, in that ilk. You know, we can cut it by not buying these, you know, our personnel carriers, multiple or Humvees, for example. I just don't see that. I see that as a waste of money. But for them to go show respect to their fallen brethren, I, I, I would be in favor of that. So as of May 31, uh, as I understand it, you were resigning as the mayor. Is that correct? Yes. I, I, yeah. Yep. I resigned. So that, is, uh, that was last year. That is. So. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yep. So I, was, yeah, yep. I, was, I left last year. Put that together. So if, if you were able single-handedly and then with, with others as time came along under your leadership, able to take a 
a budget deficit of something in the order of $5 million and turn that into a surplus, wouldn't that get a lot of attention, even notoriety? I, I assume that your local newspapers and, and residents and everything saw that, appreciated that. How did you fall back into the morass after you left last year of, of getting back into deficits again? What happened to the, to the, to the understanding? So, Didn't, wasn't there an outrage in the newspapers? So, uh, so I, I had the problem of I was definitely the most fiscally conservative of, of my members of council, and I had a great vice mayor, uh, Bill Lindsay, who is actually with me right now. He's one of my best friends. Uh, we served together. Uh, and what the thing is is that uh, people, when the medicine, as Margaret Thatcher said, you know, the medicine is harsh, but the patient requires it in order to live. And we cut the budget, and we had to make some painful choices. We almost had to lose the, the local city pool, which I was in favor of cutting because it was losing $12,000 a year at one point. Uh, so we, just, you know, and one other time we lost 50 and, you know, we just kept losing money on it. And it was just really, really painful to see. And so we had to make adjustments and we had to do staffing changes. And, you know, my job isn't to streamline government and make it more efficient and to bring back more personal liberty to individuals. And so I, I tried that and we had a group of about, of, you know, 10 to 15 folks, uh, some Republicans and some Democrats uh, that made my life miserable. Uh, and that was, it was fine with me. I mean, they would come to meeting after meeting and just berate me. Uh, they said I had no poker face because I would, you know, not respond to their questions. And their questions were, you know, just not appropriate questions for, for me to answer because it wasn't anything that I could do about it. Like, there were some of them were state guidelines that we had to follow. And they said, you know, you're hurting the city because you're cutting the budget so much. You don't respect city workers. You don't respect the police because you're cutting the budget. You don't respect firefighters because you try to cut their budget. They just kept like making all these big things up about like what I don't respect, and so when I when I left, uh, that took a great job, and uh, I would have got reelected. <laughs> I never, I never uh, not uh, won the city of New Carlisle any of the races I ran, uh, whether it be for council or mayor or, or uh, state rep or whatever else I had ran for in the past. Uh, you know, I, I definitely made it my uh, point uh, to uh, fight hard and make fiscal conservative choices, and that's what I did. And I said, this is how we're going to do it. And so, you know, uh, they, they were active and mobilized. And uh, we had, you know, the conservative wing of my council. Uh, one of them uh, didn't make the ballot because he couldn't fill out his petitions correctly. Uh, and, and that was embarrassing. And then the other one uh, switched sides on us because he got nervous and saw the writing on the wall that he was going to probably lose. But he switched sides and uh, the liberals won the, the three seats they needed and they have a majority. And yeah. it was always, remember, I'd be an incumbent mayor. And so he was still on council, though, the incumbent mayor was. And so he was uh, constantly, uh, you know, he was the Alexander Hamilton uh, of uh, Thomas Jefferson, you know, constantly thorn in the side, causing problems. Sorry, Aaron Burr, uh, better, rather, actually. Uh, he was Aaron Burr to Thomas Jefferson, and he constantly just was a thorn in my side the entire administration, uh, well. which, was, which was problematic. And, you know, he's now the mayor again, and... Uh, his dad let us into a fiscal mess, and his best friend let us into a fiscal mess, and I let us out with my vice mayor. When I picked Bill Lindsay as my vice, uh, it was pretty great. Uh, he was definitely a, a, a right-winger to the core, and I, I was a libertarian at heart. <laughs> and we got along real well, and we said, hey, uh, we both agree on 90% of the issues. Let's get something done. Uh, and so we did. And so when I chose Bill to be my vice, I wasn't choosing him to be a vice mayor. It was for him to be my co-mayor. Uh, we, made, we, made, we definitely made a co-mayorship out of the deal. So, well, was there worked. was there not a following in the in the newspapers or in the media or the Kiwanis clubs or something that would have 
carried this on after uh, you left office to to be it's it's really nice not to have a not to have a deficit i would think and you would imagine that people could have recognized that but but of course anytime people talk about cutting government they always say we're going to cut the ambulance drivers and the fire chief and, and that sort of thing they don't talk about you know the 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 people that are trimming trees and and sitting around computers and 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 the rest that uh, it's, well, and it's that's always something that we never cut though we never cut any of that we actually went and found budgetary items that were were incredibly insane like uh, we were spending twelve thousand dollars a year to be a member of the Ohio Municipal League and we got a magazine every quarter and a, and a monthly breakfast if we went. But this is ridiculous. So we've actually found programs that made no sense. We were getting stupid. Uh, magazines from all over the place for cemeteries, and that was like, you know, uh, $1,200 a year. I, I kept making a point to cut these small little things, and people are like, well, this doesn't really matter. It's only $1,200. I'm like, if we can't agree on cutting $1,200 in a minimal amount of budget, then how can we agree to cut the actual stuff that really matters? Sure. And so we literally, we, we, never, cut, we never cut a position, uh, but we made sure to uh, merge departments when necessary to save money, and we, we focused hard. When I was running for the nomination for the Libertarian Party for president, uh, which did not work, but uh, I was, kept talking all the time about conducting an audit of the federal government, of the agencies, pu publicly, before Congress, make each agency come to Congress and show what they had proposed for the last five years, what they'd accomplished, how much they'd spent, and then what they're going to propose for the next five years and what they're trying to accomplish in, in their proposed budget. And isn't I, I would think that would be the way to do it. That's what you do in your household. Uh, that's what companies do if they're going to stay afloat. And, and I would think that that's exactly what you did. It must have been rather amazing to find that all of those magazines or, or municipal leagues or whatever, that you were able just to do it by, by just an audit. Is that basically correct, Mayor? Pretty much. What we did was uh, the city manager, according to our city charter, which is like the city's constitution, put together the budget and would bring it to council. And every city council prior to that would go out and just approve the, uh, the the budget without even really going through. And then when I got there, I, I kept demanding, I'll still line by line, and they kind of refused. They just kind of skipped over stuff because I was in the minority. But then when my vice and I got there, we went through line by line. Any item number, if it was $32, we wanted to know what that $32 was spent for. If it was uh, $198, we wanted to know that. If we had $36,000 for a pump, we wanted to know what the pump was, why it needed to be replaced, how old was the pump, what was the lifespan, I mean, we became we became experts in the entire <laughs> in the entire uh, budget because we were so focused on getting it cut. Like, you know, we wanted to spend ten thousand dollars to an add an addition to the uh, shelter house that we had to put a half kitchenette in. And I was like, "So we're gonna have a stove?" They're like, no. I'm like, "What's the point of adding a kitchenette? There's gonna be no stove. We're not making any money off of, of doing it. And that's the waste of ten grand." And so we cut it. And they wanted to put like a sound system in this place. And I'm like, "There's never been a sound system in this place." <laughs> And it was just, there was stupid spending, uh, stupid spending. And, you know, it's like in the federal government in 2006 when, you know, we were sending $36 million to grant study fruit fly research. If, if Congress can't get back together to stop fruit fly research in France, then why in the world, how in the world are we going to get anything else done? We can't even agree I, uh, on one little thing like that. Of course. For each of my programs, Mayor, I uh, actually come up with a title. And I think that the title of this one, subject to your thoughts, would be either line by line or stupid spending. 
uh, but keep keep these in <laughs> mind. Uh, that uh, it, it just it, it's so apparent if you if you would treat a city like a business, uh, you you wouldn't need all that spending. But what was the impetus? I mean, who wanted those magazines or the municipal leagues, or it was just some just a situation that nobody particularly noticed it, nobody particularly cared. The department heads wanted it, and the city managers previously said, we have, been all, we have always gotten these things, Ethan, and sometimes we get good ideas out of them. Uh, and I asked if they could provide me with the one good idea they've gotten out of it, and they said, well, the streetlights. And I'm like, so we've been paying them at Ohio Municipal League since 1991, and we got one idea for uh, LED streetlights. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> that doesn't, we don't. We, we could have paid for the streetlights itself already. <laughs> We don't like your kind, Reynolds. My goodness, you're, you're embarrassing us. Imagine <laughs> we got one, one idea out of a year from magazines. You know, so, so when you left the office and you say that the Democrats regained control, did they, did they add more personnel or how, did, how was it that they ended up getting back into the, the deficit spending uh, that they had been in? Yeah, before, they added some personnel. Magazines? They, uh, we, right. They, uh, they did it. They joined the Ohio Municipal League back. <laughs> uh, and they did uh, actually hire personnel. They created a whole new department that we've never had in the city, and they set a two hundred fifty thousand dollars budget for these individuals. And it was there was the fun fact: there was no like open employment. They didn't send out like, hey, you know, we have a new department. They chose one of the insiders, which is what governments do, uh, from the already that was already there in the, in the state, and so they chose an insider, uh, and they just started wasting money on that. Like we had, we rented a city building. What type of city, self-respecting city, would rent a city building? And we had rented it for thirty-two thousand dollars, roughly thirty-two thousand dollars a year. And when, when I left, like, we got to buy a building. This is a waste of money. Let's go buy it outright. Bought it outright. And when I left, you know, uh, we made, you know, we went through and uh, did a lot of stuff. And uh, they did a lot of stuff. They just bought, bought another building. They went and added extra uh, uh, employees, and they just started taking on debt sure. for everything. I mean, it's they never found the debt they didn't like. Easy to easy to spend money. Well, when we come back from this short break, uh, Mayor Ethan Reynolds, we're going to talk about the upcoming presidential elections for 2020 for the Libertarian candidates and, and see uh, what choices you believe that we have and see what uh, the issues would or should be with regard to that. I know you've been involved. You were really helping me when I was uh, running for the nomination. You are our Ohio whip, as we called, which uh, brought people into line and, and much appreciated. But stay tuned. We'll just come back after these messages and and talk a little bit more about national politics with New Carlisle, Ohio mayor, or former mayor now, Ethan Reynolds. Stay, stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. The Libertarian Party is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit lp.org today to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. 
Together, we can move mountains. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Well, welcome back. This is still Judge Jim Gray with our really interesting host, uh, Eagle Scout Mayor Ethan Reynolds, New Carlisle, Ohio, and uh, we're just talking about all kinds of things that happen, beneficial things for the health of cities that happen when libertarians start holding the reins. That's what we were talking about, of course, in the prior segment. But before we go into the more national area, uh, I do request that, or at least my wife has requested, that I come in with some little, at least intentional humor instead of unintentional. So my offering this time is, well, life is short. And if you can't laugh at yourself, call me and I'll do it for you. At any rate, that's what some people would say. But Ethan Reynolds, thank you for being with us. And uh, we're, we're now in a presidential election, the year 2020. Uh, the Libertarians did nominate uh, Joe Jorgensen and Spike Cohen, uh, two really interesting and good people. Uh, how do you see the presidential election shaping out for Libertarians in 2020, and uh, particularly with regard to Ohio? So Ohio is definitely, uh, has trended. You know, it used to be a swing state. Now it's definitely uh, almost firmly in the Republican Party's past. Uh, and that's the way it's swung. I mean, the Democrats have went so radical in the southeast Ohio, which was typically rural, very conservative, but very democratic. They have now started voting for the Republican Party. Uh, I see the big problem for the Libertarians having, number one, is we're on the ballot, uh, you know, in Ohio uh, because of Gary Johnson, uh, that hit, to hit that uh, magic number of 3%. Uh, so the key is, is ballot access is key. You know, number one, libertarians, if they want to make an impact, they got to get 5% of the national vote. Like, that is an absolute key. So we get that federal match funding, uh, one. And then two, you got to keep securing ballot access from these states. I mean, Ohio is hard. Uh, you know, uh, John Kasich, and when he was governor, he, you know, everyone dubbed it the uh, Kasich Re-Election Act when he removed all the third parties off the, off the ballot. Uh, and so, I mean, it's going to be difficult for uh, Joe Jurgensen and them because I, I, I went and looked at their finance reports. They don't have a lot of money, uh, and that, it's going to be hard. it's going to be difficult. Uh, I see people that want a libertarian message and they want that message of limited government and more personal freedom, but I see it very difficult if they don't have the resources to get out there and get it done. And I mean, that, that's not to say that she's a bad candidate or, or Spike Cohen's a bad candidate. Uh, but just saying that, you know, without the resources and you're running a national campaign, I mean, it, you know, it was hard enough running uh, for mayor and city council, <laughs> let alone for yes. the presidency of the United States with limited funds. Well, when I ran with Governor Gary Johnson as his vice presidential candidate running mate, that was back in 2012, it was my perception that it was mostly the Republicans that would go around the country bringing 
lawsuits trying to restrict our ballot access and that uh, they were successful in two states, if I remember correctly. One was Ohio and the other was Oklahoma. But uh, they, they continue to do that now, as I see it. And, of course, they know we don't have a whole lot of money to defend these lawsuits because it is expensive. And that uh, it's really a concerted effort to, uh, to chase us off ballots for their own political gain. Is that your perception as well, Ethan? Oh, I think all political parties do. I mean, it's like, you know, in uh, 2000, you know, the uh, Republicans kind of infiltrated uh, the Reform Party and tanked it with Pat Buchanan to get rid of, you know, Ross Perot's Reform Party that did so well in 96 and uh, 92. And, you know, uh, the Republicans definitely do that for folks as well as the Democrats. I mean, they were the ones that really kind of pushed the issue to get the Green Party off. You know, both major parties, that's, that's their interest is, you know, maintaining elected authority, and so they do whatever it takes. And it was Michigan that uh, you and Governor Johnson were actually kicked uh, off of because I'm of sorry, some, arbitrary, right. yeah, some arbitrary state law that said, you know, you can't run twice, and he was on, and he withdrew already, but his name was still on the ballot for president in the Republican primary, and they found this arbitrary law and threw them off. Uh, and, and that's just how it works. I mean, in, in Ohio, they did the same thing. There, was, there had never been a forced issue when the Libertarians lost ballot access in 14, uh, yeah, in 14, uh, there been an issue where the circulator has to sign that they're paid by somebody. And they had literally went back and they pulled records all the way up to 2002. And they never, no, no one had ever used that rule. Well, they ended up enforcing it in 2014. And, uh, the former state rep, uh, booted off the ballot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a, it's a business. And of course, like I say too, government is money. That uh, we have seen, of course, the federal government throwing lots of money at different things. And now our, our board of supervisors here in Orange County, California, there are five supervisors, and they were given I don't know how many millions of dollars to spread out amongst the, amongst the basically smaller businesses. And even the five of them couldn't figure out how to spread it out. So they actually divide it into five groups so that each supervisor could give it to basically their cronies, the people that they were their political supporters are kind of wooing them over. I, I assume that you have seen things like that going on as well. Horrifying oh, as yeah, it might I mean, be. Even at a local level, where we saw where you know the former mayor was really tight with uh, uh, a, a local sign shop, and when he was mayor, everything we ordered went directly to his buddy. And then in return, he he was buddy gave him campaign contributions and helped him get yard signs made and shirts made. And I mean, even at the even at this small town local government, this happens. Imagine how much larger this is at a federal or a county or a state government. Uh, where, you know, kind of money passes hands amongst their friends. Power. Well, oh, you, you, you cynic. Of course, you do know that in this last uh, bailout by the federal government for the COVID-19, that the head of the, the Department of Treasury had something in the order of a $500 billion slush fund that he himself could decide how much money would go to which people. Boy, I bet he had a lot of, a lot of friends all of a sudden. Oh, I, I bet he did. And I bet that, you know, a lot of his old friends became even closer to him. Uh, it's how it works. Uh, it's unfortunate that's the way government shouldn't work. But if it works at, if it were, like I said, if it works at a local level of a city of less than ten thousand people, it's going to work even more gangstly and more liberty and more money will be spent and more liberty will be lost uh, by this slush fund accounting and shipping out your uh, your monies to uh, the appropriate folks uh, that you that are close to you or that are campaign contribution holders. Uh, I mean, you know, no one just gives someone you know, $10,000 just because they support their message. They give them $10,000 because they either, one, they're going to get something in return or, or they believe in that person's philosophy. 
And it's very rarely they believe in that person's philosophy. It's normally, oh, you know, ten thousand. Thank you. I want your. I would like for your support. You know, X Y Z. You know, and, and I would sure. propose to the bailout. I'm probably one of the very few people who would have never voted for the bailout. It made no sense to me that every American uh, man, woman, and child with the amount of money that was bailed out would have been uh, six thousand two hundred something dollars per person. And instead, what they did was, oh, we're going to bail out, you know, big, big corporations, Wall Street again. I mean, Republicans are always opposed to bailouts until it's a bailout they want. Uh, oh. You know, President Obama, I was opposed to bailouts. Underneath President Bush, I was opposed to bailouts. Underneath President Trump, I'm opposed to bailouts. And whether it be President Trump or Joe Biden or, or Joe Jurgensen or uh, Howie Hawkins or whoever gets elected president in the fall, I'll be opposed to bailouts again. Uh-huh. Well, actually, I, I think that uh, if you if we elect Joe Jorgensen as president, I think Ethan Reynolds is going to be ahead of the uh, Department of Treasury. So you're going to be against that. <laughs> That's that. I have, I have I have no basis for that statement that you're going to be there. But you know, we will put in in our cabinet or in the, the libertarian cabinet, libertarian government. Yes, libertarians, independents, but also I think we'd put in a coalition government, Ethan, that would be some Democrats, some Republicans, as long as they agreed with our philosophy of, you know, financial responsibility and and uh, equal protection and the rest. But uh, then we get over this polarization, I keep saying, because, okay, if we're having political problems with Republicans, you're a Republican, or you're a Democrat, go talk with your colleagues, get them on board, let's work this out on the merits. I would think that the country would just crave something like that. And uh, I, I expect that's the way it should be. I, I think so, too. That was Abraham Lincoln's I, approach. And, and uh, we, we, this is something that's really attractive that I think people would just, just be, be galvanized by it. Heck, I mean, in the, in the U.K., you know, in 2010, the conservatives had a hung parliament uh, and they had to work with the liberal Democrats. And they found... 25 key issues that they agreed on both, and they made sure to pass those key issues. They reduced deficits. They enhanced personal liberties. I mean, and I think that's the way it should work. I think coalition governments are good. I think, you know, as John Major said, you know, compromising just to compromise is not a good thing, but compromising to actually get something done that that accomplishes what individuals are looking for, that is what's good. And I think think we need to compromise between all political parties. I mean, you know. uh, Of course. Democrats have some. Democrats have some good ideas on personal liberty issues. Republicans have good ideas on taxes and business. Uh, libertarians have great ideas on regulation, enhancing uh, personal freedom. Uh, I, I can't think of anything the Green Party has off the top of my head. Uh, but uh, you, I mean, they have Ralph Nader. <laughs> you, you mentioned that uh, in 2012, uh, Gary Johnson and I and the Libertarian Party brought a lawsuit against the so-called Commission on Presidential Debates to get us the libertarian candidates in the debates. And we also carried it for the Green Party, that uh, they were on the ballots in 40 states, we were on in 48. So look, even though we don't agree with them, I think politically on anything, we went to bat for them as well. And Gary Johnson said with a chuckle, well, if we're successful in this lawsuit and they're in the debates, that will be the end of the Green Party, because if people really realize what they stand for, they'll be out of existence. So I thought that was kind of an interesting comment. But you're right. Oh, I... And I agree. And remember, the Commission on Presidential Debates, I actually just read uh, John Anderson's book uh, the other day uh, about his campaign, uh, Diary of a Dark Horse, in 1980. Remember, in 1980, uh, there was, um, you needed 5% to be in the, in the presidential debate. He hit it, he won 6%, and they raised it to 10%. And then Ross Perot came along and got 
19.2% of the vote. And then they said, oh, Lord, this can't happen. And they raised it to 15%. So then Perot was out on the second debate. But no one tipped that. It's an arbitrary line. The two parties work together on it. Uh, and that's what they've always done, to keep out the opposition. Why would you want someone? You know, they say, well, it would be crowded for a three-person debate. Lord, in 2016, the Republicans had 17 candidates. And this year, the Democrats had 150. Sure. You know, I mean, well, to say that they can't put three people on a debate stage is ridiculous. And the last time someone got on the debate stage, Ross Perot went from 8% to 19% of the vote. And then and the Republicans and Democrats said, oh, Lord, we got to start fixing up some situations to get it done. In 1980, John Anderson, it was Stella Breezy versus Anderson, which Stella Breezy was the attorney general at the time. He had to sue to get ballot access in Ohio because the arbitrary deadlines and limits were so astronomically high. He couldn't get on, and the Supreme Court sided in the favor of Anderson for celebrating. Actually, looking back in 1980, I was actually campaigning for, actively campaigning for, for, uh, for Anderson. So uh, he he was my guy. Good. But uh, he, he, uh, he his picture hangs up in my office. <laughs> really? Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Uh, so I read a book when I was actually a history major at UCLA. And it's called, of course, Democracy in America by Alexis de Tocqueville. And he said that democracy is a really good experiment. This is back in 1820, I believe. Democracy is a great experiment, and it will work until the politicians realize that they can buy the voters' votes, spending the voters' money on them. And I think that's where we are now. That's just that's just what we see. It's a not a not a good thing to see, but people are just not aware of it, and it's a shame. Yeah, everyone gets a little handout, uh, you know. No no one really notices, no one really cares, you know, that they, they go about their day. You know, most people wake up in the morning and they don't think, well, what is government going to do for me or what is, uh, you know, Mayor Eastman going to do for me or Vice Mayor Joe Lindsay or Judge Jim Gray. They're going to wake up in the morning and think, I have kids, I have sports, I have work, I have this, I have no money, I'm working. And, the, and the, you know, uh, uh, you know, big government, the nanny state comes along and says, how about I give you some supplemental coverage on this or some money for this? Or, you know what, I know you like going to the pool in New Carlisle, so we're going to socialize that and make it a, 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 a government-run entity when it should be privatized. Or, you know what, we're going to take over the cemetery street because we can mow it better, take care of it better, and you only mow it once every six months. <laughs> you know, uh, that's what government does. They, 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 they sell these great stories. I mean, everyone would be a communist if it actually worked, but there is no such thing as a classless society. There is no such thing as... Uh, you know, equality for all. You know, I believe in equality, but I believe in equality starting point on equality of outcome. And that's the problem is there is no such thing as true equality. Everyone has to work toward what they want, but government tries to get in the way and government tries to buy people off. I mean, how many Republicans were opposed to bailouts, you know, in 2010, uh, you know, when we took over uh, and we said we opposed the stimulus. And yet, you know, um, right now we had one, two Republicans that voted no on the stimulus. It's 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 just out of control. You you remember uh, Benjamin Franklin after the Constitutional Convention, at least in theory, emerged, and some woman asked him, "Well, what kind of government do we have?" She says, "Well, it's a republic if you can keep it." Then a man yep. came up to him and said, "Well, are you guaranteeing happiness?" And he says, "No, no, we guarantee the pursuit of happiness. You have to catch it by yourself, which is pretty much what you just said, Ethan. But, but, yeah. and that's and that's right. We just equal equality, equal opportunity. But the people that roll up their sleeves and work hard are the much more likely to 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 gain by that. But 
I believe, and I've told numbers of libertarian candidates who I'm trying to assist, and I expect you agree with this as well since you've won these elections. By the way, I've never won any election, so I can give all kinds of advice. But uh, maybe maybe my campaign slogan slogan of we all go gray eventually should have been changed. But one way or the other, (laughs) I would would tell people that uh, everyone that goes into the voting booth, of course, that's now passe because you change – you basically post your your mail-in ballot, but everyone that votes has one question in mind, excuse me, and that is, what's in it for me? Every last one of them. And if it isn't filling your rice bowl or educating your children, I mean, it could be world peace, it could be liberty, but everyone feels that. So you have to show them, vote for Mayor Ethan Reynolds, because I will get you what what it is you want, whether it's better education or trash pickup or whatever. What were your issues, of course, and I assume you agree with that, that that's a practical thing. And when we ran with Harry Johnson, our slogan was live free. Well, you know, that's great in theory. Libertarians lap it up, but everyone else that just that just wouldn't wouldn't go with that, at least in 2012. But but I, I assume that you agree with what's in it for me in the questions of voters. And you ran just on the financial responsibility for the city. Is that pretty much correct? Yeah, I ran as a fiscal conservative. I say it was t- I'm tired of, you know, uh, Margaret Thatcher once said, you know, the problem with socialism is you eventually run out of spending other people's money. And, uh, you know, I was tired of watching out my tax dollars. I grew up in this town. I loved my town. I, uh, you know, had went to school there. And I said, I'm tired of uh, government wasting money. And you just saw it on the day, on the day in and day out. And New Carolina was really unfortunate. And, you know, we had city managers that had come and go. We had buildings that were never actually, like, first off, government shouldn't be involved in real estate, uh, especially local government, because they can't do it right, ever. Uh, and they, they just kept messing up, and I said, we need someone that's going to be fiscally conservative and, and watch people's tax dollars, because that's what actually matters. Uh, everyone wants their slice of the pie, but, you know, no one wants to pay taxes, uh, especially anyone on the spectrum. Uh, they like other people paying taxes, but they don't want to pay taxes themselves. And I said, look, your taxes are going to go up unless you elect people who are going to be fiscally conservative. I mean, my first four years on council, we raised uh, 32 uh, fees, 32 fees and mm. tax increases. Mm. And I voted no on every one of them. And people mm-hmm. finally then, you know, they said, we're tired of this. And they elected my vice mayor and they elected everybody else on board with us. But we should get down to the nitty gritty and actually get down to good government. Uh, yeah. Indeed. Well, you're a hero. Ethan, and, and congratulations, and thank you for that. Let, let me change gears rather substantially, because recently we've seen a lot of racial protests, and this 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 killing uh, in Minnesota was just dreadful, if I understand it correctly, just, just dreadful. When I was raised, I was drummed into my head by my parents. Jimmy, if you get lost, what will you do? Correct answer. I will find a policeman. He's my friend. I don't think parents teach that anymore. And of course, the war on drugs is a big reason why uh, some some communities see the police as an occup- occupying force. But but this racial disparity still exists in our country. It's it's a blight on who we are. I think it's better. But that 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 killing. It, it, it just it, it's staggering. What what are your views there in in your area with regard to the racial disparity issue? And and are we making progress? Are we not? Uh, what, is people's perceptions correct? What is it from from your standpoint, Ethan? I, I don't think we're. I think we're. I think we're still stuck at the nineteen sixty eight time frame. I mean, uh, there are good cops. There are bad cops. It cuts both ways. It's a double edged sword. And New Carlisle, uh, I, I in Ohio. I, 
I saw the video of Tamir Rice. He was a 12-year-old African-American uh, young man who was out playing in the park with a little toy gun. And two uh, cops in the car rolled up on him because a person had called him because they saw an African-American man with a gun. And they pulled up and they shot Tamir Rice. They didn't say, you know, hands up, breathe, nothing. Shot him, wow. killed him. And it broke wow. my heart. And that was in November 14th. And I said, this cannot happen in today's society. And so I, as a council member, I made the first motion to put body cameras on my, on our, my police officers. Because I said, you know, and the cops are not very thrilled with me when I first did this. And I said, look, guys, this protects the public from police brutality because it makes the officer more cognizant that now he is uh, being watched. And number two, it protects the officer from the public saying that they abuse their powers when they actually get it. So it becomes he said, she said, we had to do it. And it took me about three months. I'm pretty sure I just browbeat everyone into it. Um, and I just kept bringing it up, bringing it up. And as a matter of fact, I ended up working with a Democrat member of council who agreed with me, and we ended up passing it, uh, the motion, and I was really, really pleased with it. And that's the thing is, you know, we need to start addressing the, these policing issues, and you need to make sure every cop in the United States has body cameras. Is it going to solve every problem? No. But it's going to at least know that he said, she said, it's going to be out, and it's going to be factually based. I mean, quite literally, uh, you know, we put the body cameras on. Everyone told me I was horrible. They ran against me, and they criticized my body cameras. And then a year later, I was in Washington, D.C., at a meeting, and I get a call from uh, my vice, and he says, Ethan, uh, one of all, uh, the police just got in a, uh, a gunfight uh, or a, a shootout. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what happened? He's like, well, I don't know. And then I got another call, and it was like, no, they didn't get involved in a shootout. The cop shot a reporter who pulled mm. up on him. A reporter. In the United States of America, a cop shot a reporter. And I said, this is ridiculous. And then the camera is what? is what ended up getting the, the story actually known completely. And had it happened for a camera, it would have been a he said, she said situation, and everyone would have just believed the cop. Because yeah. that's what we're kind of trained to do. I'm not, I'm not anti-cop. I'm very, I, I think that police are very good. I respect them. Uh, I have many, many friends and family members that are police officers. However, uh, I think it, body cameras protect them uh, and protect the public. And I think, you know, we need to get that. We need to do new arrest training methods. The fact of the matter is, is how, how, could, how could you put your body on someone's neck and they're saying they can't breathe? You had them in handcuffs. I mean, it just shows you that there are disparities uh, between what the police actually need to do and what they, and they do do. And I think that's why we need police reform. We need uh, uh, bail reform. We need all sorts of reform that's going to you know, affect people. And the only fortunate thing about protesting is, or not really protesting in the case of you know, the riot, is when this happens, you see what happened in 94 when the L.A. riots happened. You, know, you saw a crime bill come that incarcerated more African-Americans than ever before. I think we should all channel our energy to passing common-sense reform on going after body cameras and arrest methods and diversity training for police and making sure you know, that we work together as, a, as, a, as one family to get this done. I was campaigning, as we know, and uh, said publicly, uh, I was a former federal prosecutor in Los Angeles, and uh, I would, as president, instruct the attorney general, who would instruct all of the U.S. attorneys, who would thereby instruct all of the assistant U.S. attorneys, the prosecutors, you act and speak in our name. You will do the right thing for the right reason every time. And if you do that, we will back you up completely. But if you stray from that, there'll be consequences that, that we, we cannot have this happen. 
uh, things like this. And Ethan, you nailed it with regard to body cameras. And the vast, vast majority of the time, it will show that the police officers acted appropriately. Uh, you know, and they, they should, the training is hugely important in this regard. I know in, in Orange County, again, where I'm from, that they are trained, people actually spit in their face. And it would be infuriating for someone to come up and spit in your face, but they're trained not to react to that. You know, as, as long as they, they're, they're trained to be professional, they have a badge and a gun, and they're, they must be held to a higher standard. And, and that whole idea, uh, you know, driving while black or, or just, just being on the ground, and he, he called out for his mother at the end as he was being suffocated to death. It's just simply not right. And we need leadership. You showed it in, in New Carlisle. Bless you for that, uh, Ethan. You're, you're, just, you're a good, solid fellow. Do you have any future well, plans with regard to politics in, in, in any fashion? Because you're depriving us of your leadership by not being in elected <laughs> office. Well, uh, maybe soon. Uh, there will be a few elections coming up next year. Uh, right now, I'm focused on uh, working, which I rather enjoy, and reading, and then helping uh, good, good folks, uh, conservative, libertarians, uh, anyone that believes that government should be limited and that tax should be low and that personal freedom should be guaranteed, I'm going to help out. Uh, this this fall, uh, and that's my that's my goal uh, is to just be involved as much as possible to get good, good people elected uh, because that's what we need. My my running mate Larry Sharp is going to be our guest on uh, next week's show, and uh, after he ran for governor of New York, uh, and he did quite well, but he did not beat Governor Cuomo. But uh, the next year. He helped the down-ballot candidates, as we call them, where they had zero elected in New York the year before. With his help going up and down the state, they had 103 libertarians elected to local offices. And it's just really important. that That's where we can really make that show. You, I'm sure, impressed numbers of people, uh, Mayor Ethan Reynolds, while you were still mayor, with regard to your financial conservatism, with regard to treating people equally, with regard to your body cameras, which are all really healthy things. We have just a couple of minutes left. Uh, Ethan, anything to wrap up? Anything that I should have asked you that I didn't? Uh, I, I really appreciate your coming on and sharing your experience with us, but but just we have about 30 seconds. The floor is yours. Well, I would first off like to wish your wife and your sister a very, very happy birthday. I hope they have a wonderful day, and I hope you take them out to a very nice restaurant, Judge. Uh, <laughs> but there's nothing else I would want to talk about. Uh, I just uh, I thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it, and uh, I've known you since 2012, and I'm, I'm pleased to call you a friend and if you have anything for me and you're ever in Ohio let me know indeed well thank you with our with our deep appreciation go get them and yes a happy birthday to my sister Robin and my wife Grace uh, June 19th just happens I can remember the dates a lot more it was reinforced throughout my life but at any rate Ethan thanks for being with us once again thank you for your leadership uh, you have gravitated over to really a, a political party that, that really does believe in love loving your neighbor uh, and that's the libertarian so there you have it in many ways of course life is complicated but once you get to it once straightforward, understandable, productive libertarian approaches just benefit us all. You've heard this Mayor Ethan Reynolds from New Carlisle, Ohio talk about this responsibility about an audit of his government taking a, a deficit to a surplus. This can happen. This should happen. So I commend you to look into libertarian candidates. You, there are a lot of them out there just like Ethan. Maybe not all are, uh, are uh, Eagle Scouts, but but uh, they're certainly good people. So keep listening. and Come back on demand anytime, of course, as you wish. Voice America 
Variety Channel is there. But uh, we'll talk to you again next week. And in the meantime, like I always end up with saying in our shows, life is good. Why do I say that? Because it is. Thanks for listening today. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way. Strengthen my bonds that help us stand strong. We are Americans all. Strengthen my bonds.